But you know, I was thinking about it this past week as I was preparing uh, this text in 2 Corinthians 5, that everyone in this place today who would at least admit to being a senior, (laughs) um, you call yourself a senior, there was a day when you were not a senior. Think about that. Some of you say amen, right? There was a day when you were not a senior. There was a day when you were just like me, and you were raising your family, um, going to work, doing life. But you know, it's also true that on the forward side of that, there is going to come a day when no one will wear the label, as it were, of senior. When we step into the presence of Christ, if we are a believer in Jesus, uh, we're not going to be fit with all the, I've said it here before, but the the bills and the chills and the ills and the wills and the pills, you know, that come along with uh, that stage in life. All of our bodies are going to wear out one day, and some of us are finding that out quicker than others, but our bodies are going to wear out and expire. But every person in this place, regardless of if you belong to Christ today or not, you have an eternal soul. C.S. Lewis said something to that, to that effect that no one we have ever met was a mere mortal, that everyone is immortal in the sense that we will all live forever somewhere, someplace, either in the presence of Christ or not. And that depends on our relationship to Jesus. So today, what I want to do is I want to talk about your your true identity. I want to take a few minutes and talk to you about an identity that is not defined by age or by stage in life. Because if you look around today, people want to define themselves in all sorts of ways. People are constantly looking for ways to describe themselves to the world out there, especially with the advent of social media. People say things like, I'm a golfer or I'm a dancer, or I'm a plumber, or I'm white, or I'm black, or I'm from the mountains and you're from down east. Let me clarify, I'm from Durham. Durham is in the middle of our state. It's not as far east as we can go. Uh, There's another three hours or so to the coast. Um, But the only real factor that, that determines anything significant, lasting, and eternal about our identity, about who we are, is whether or not we belong to Jesus Christ by faith. No one is born into his family. We are reborn into his family. We are adopted into the family. And that's why adoption has grown more and more uh, nearer and dearer to my heart and to Carrie's heart. And, And I know many of you in this place as well. Because when we think about adoption here on this earth, it's a little picture. It's a microcosm of what God has done for us in Christ. He's adopted us in because nobody starts out. Uh, in his family. Scripture actually says we are his enemies. And so we need to be clear when we talk about identity. Age and stage is wonderful. We ought to recognize that from children all the way up. But let's talk this morning for a few minutes about our real identity in Christ. So let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verses 16 through 21 together this morning. Paul says this, from now on then we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away and see the new has come. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors 
for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, take your word, apply it to our hearts, teach us, guide us, direct us, Father. Lead us deeper into your truth so that we can think well, we can apply it to our lives, God, and please you in what we say and do. Help us in this time through your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I want to share just a few points with you this morning. I won't tell you how many I have, actually, because it might scare you. I'm just going to run through those together. At the end of our time, you can tell me how many you catch. Is that fair enough? Okay. So number one is this. In Christ, worldly distinctions don't matter anymore. In Christ, worldly distinctions don't matter anymore. We see this in verse 16. Paul essentially says this. We used to size Jesus up based on his outward appearance. Do you remember when they found him, when, when one of the brothers went and found the other one and said, hey, come and see the Messiah. We think we found the one. And then he finds out Jesus is from Nazareth. And what does he say? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? He can't believe that the Messiah would have grown up in such a town. He was sizing Jesus up based on his outward appearance. Paul says, we used to look at Jesus that way, but we don't do that anymore. The same ought to be said of us. When we come to Christ Jesus and we are washed in his blood, when we become a Christian, that ought to change the way that we look at people, the way we view people, the way that we interact with people. But you know, sadly, I think all of us at times, all of us are guilty of evaluating people based on appearances. Are we not sometimes? Have you ever stood in line behind the young family with five kids uh, at Walmart? And, uh, and they're, what are y'all laughing for? And, and, and they're fighting off the Reese's, you know, and the Germex is flying everywhere that you hadn't paid for yet. Um, some of y'all are laughing because you're like, we're, we're right there right now. And have, have you ever stood behind someone any place and you sized them up based off of what you could see on appearances? We all have a tendency to do that at times, don't we? But that needs to go. That needs to go because worldly distinctions don't matter anymore. D.L. Moody was a big fan of Charles Spurgeon. Moody was leading revivals and, and, uh, and services in, in America. And Spurgeon, of course, was preaching in England. And he journeyed to go meet Spurgeon for the first time. And D.L. Moody, at nearly 400 pounds, passed a billboard with Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, with a big black cigar in his hand. He was well known for smoking Cigars. When they met, Moody indicted Spurgeon and he said to him, he said, do you know what you are doing to the temple of the Holy Spirit with that big black cigar? Spurgeon thought a second and then he retorted. He said, I suppose the same thing you're doing to yours with that knife and that fork. Even these two men leading revival, it took you a second, didn't it? Even these two men leading revivals of religion and following Christ kind of sized each other up on things that are truly external. If you're older, you may look at some of us here and say to yourself or to others, oh, he's a millennial, he doesn't get it. Or she's too young, she won't understand. That's not how the Bible instructs us to be. Or sometimes younger people look back at generations that come before and they say, you know, oh, oh, you're, you're too old to really understand what we're saying. You're not going to get where we're coming from. But those worldly distinctions don't matter anymore. When we come to the cross... What does Charles Stanley always say? The ground at the foot of the cross is, is level, right? It doesn't matter if you're 97 or if you're 7. If you're in Christ, here's what this means. We are brothers and sisters. 
We are, we are heirs of the, of the inheritance that is going to be ours one day. We are family. And so those distinctions go away. Those distinctions in how we look at people, they ought to shift and change. You say, why? Point number two, in Christ you're a new creation. It's right here in the scripture. Verse 17 Reads like this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, it doesn't say if the 97-year-old or if the 7-year-old is in Christ. It says, if anyone, it's a sweeping statement, is in Christ, guess what? He's a new creation. He's a new creation. The old has passed away and see, the new has come. I love what Spurgeon says here. He says, there could be no greater change than that which is wrought by regeneration. Not generation, not birth, but regeneration, being rebirth. Do you remember Nicodemus came to Jesus at night? The old joke is he was Nick at night. Okay, some of you have no idea what Nick at night is. I do, I do. I'm a millennial, but I do. I used to watch that until my mom and dad come in there and turn the TV off. <laughs> but regeneration is what Jesus was talking about. You have to be born again, and Nicodemus missed it. How can I enter back into my mother's womb at, at, at an old age? Jesus is saying, are you the teacher of Israel and you don't understand what it is to be reborn? You don't get it that you have to be reborn to enter into the kingdom of heaven? Spurgeon says there's no greater change that's wrought than that of regeneration. It is a new creation, the passing away of the old, the making of all things new. I don't know what's in your past or your story. I don't know what you're walking out of today. But if you're a believer in Christ, you ought to be able to say amen with that. That we are new creations. I don't think we fully dig down deeply enough into verse 17. When Paul says that a person becomes a new creation, they're in Christ. It's the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit is impossible to overestimate. I think sometimes the reason we get over this is we've just forgotten everything the Holy Spirit rescued us from. We've forgotten who we were before Jesus Christ. We've forgotten that he has come in and renovated everything and restored us. I think about my friend Gail Wilson. You all have heard him preach here before at one of our sunrise services. He is the pastor at Friendship in Old Fort. And he's told me numerous times before he gave his life to Jesus in his mid-30s what his life was like. And when God called him into the ministry, he will tell you he thought that God was... Knocking on the wrong door. No, no, God, that's, that's about three doors down. You, you missed wrong guy. He can't call me to preach. He can't call me to herald the gospel and proclaim it. Not after all that I've done, but guess what? When we're in Christ and that blood covers us, he doesn't look at anything that we've done anymore. It says he's cast that into the depths of the sea. And I said last week, when God casts our sin in the depths of the sea, how can we go fishing for the sins of others around us? We need to put a no fishing sign up, whether it's your past that you struggle with or somebody else's past. If God has done away with it, we don't need to get out our fishing poles and go snag it and drag it up from the depths anymore. If it's paid for, it's gone. It's done. If you walked up to the counter at your favorite store and you laid, I've said this before, but you laid $2,000 worth of clothing on the counter right there and somebody walked up and said, stop, I got this, and they paid for it, is that transaction done? It's over. Do you owe anything else for your $2,000 worth of clothing? Nothing. It's been paid for. There's nothing we can offer for that. When the Holy Spirit comes in, he kicks the old man out of the house. He evicts him, as it were. 
And he restores and he renovates and he makes all things new from the inside out. I spoke at the service down at Greenlee this past Wednesday. And man, if you missed it, it was, it was a phenomenal time in worship. And I referenced this verse not even knowing I was going to preach on it. Because I actually changed course Friday night at about 10.30. But I referenced this verse and was talking about this. I said, aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that God starts working on us from the inside out? You know, and, and some folks say, boy, I sure would like him to start working from the outside in. That would really be a good deal. But the old junk is gone. It's gone. He done away with it. Now, does that mean that the old, ugly temptations from your past might not rear their ugly head? Sure they will. They'll come back after you. But listen, there's a new person on the throne of your heart and your life if you're in Jesus. Jesus is on that throne, not you. You know what that means? The old grudges, the old grudges, you can't hold them anymore. The old habits, they don't satisfy the way that they used to. The old friendships, you try to keep some of those up and it's like, man, this is, it just doesn't seem to fit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit living in you is just having a hard time connecting to someone that's living for the world. The old the old things, the taste for music and movies and TV, when you taste those things, they just sort of turn sour in your mouth and you're like, I just can't enjoy that like I used to so many years ago. Why is that? It's because God has resurrected you from the grave of your sin. He's given you new taste buds. Amen? He's given you new taste buds. So when you hear that song on the radio and you used to really get into it, you're like, I, I just can't go with that anymore. When that old grudge comes back up and you want to hold someone's feet to the fire for something, you say, you know what? If I hold on to this, it's only going to make me bitter and make me miserable and put me in chains. And Jesus has set me free from those chains. That's a good time to say amen. You have a new identity. Why? Number three, you have a new standing with God. You have a new identity because you have a new standing with God. Look at verse 18. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. When we come to Jesus, having repented of our sin and surrendered to him in faith, when we do that, we are reconciled to God. You say, reconciled, that's a big word. What do you mean? What do you mean when you say reconciled? It means this, God made peace with you and him for your benefit, for his glory. God made peace with you and between him. The scripture says we were enemies of God, But when Jesus' blood was applied to us, if you're in Christ today, what was broken, you know what God did? He come along and he put it back together. He put it back together. He fixed it and you're no longer fighting against him. Guess what you are doing? You are standing with him because you have a new standing as a child of the holy God. And along with that new standing comes number four, a new mission in life. See, I told you I had a lot of points. But I'm moving quickly. A new mission in life. It doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are. When you trust Jesus Christ, listen to this, you receive a new mission. Say, well, I'm 82. Or I'm 40 and I'm raising my kids and I'm too busy for this new mission. None of those things matter. When you come to Jesus Christ, however old you are, when you believe that you are a sinner who's in need of his grace, you receive a new purpose, you receive a new mission, and your orientation, your direction in life ought to shift, and it ought to change. And what you're aiming at ought not be the same things that you were aiming at before Jesus took over the throne of your heart and your life. 
And so instead of living for you, who are we living for now? For Him. Instead of living to please us and do what makes us satisfied, we're living to please and satisfy Jesus. Paul got this. In his last letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy, at the very end of it, he says this in 2 Timothy 4. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not to me only, listen to this, listen to this, but to all who have loved his appearing. You know, one of the markers of a person who is a new creation in Christ, man, you are looking forward to the day that Jesus returns. You are longing for the eastern sky to split open, for Christ to come back and to set everything that is wrong right. Everything that's on its head to turn it right side up and to fix it and put it back together when he steps out of the clouds into our world. Paul says to those who have loved his appearing, I've fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished the race. John Piper says this. He says, your mission isn't to collect the most seashells or lower your handicap on the golf course or I would add in here, Catch every run on TV, every rerun on TV land. Your new mission in life is to point everyone you can toward Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter if you're a senior or if you're heading that way quickly or if seniorhood, so to speak, is 60 years away for you. You have a new mission to point people towards Christ. Chuck Lawless is a pastor and a professor at Southeastern Seminary where I went to school and in a blog this past week, he put, I put it in the voice. If you receive the voice, you, you know what I'm talking about. It's our newsletter this week. But eight ways that older believers can invest in the lives of younger believers around them. I'm going to list four for you this morning in case you missed that. If you're an older believer and you want to have an impact on someone younger than you coming up behind you, try some of these things. Invite a younger believer to lunch. He says, you don't need an agenda. Just get together, get to know each other, and hang out. Number two, invite a younger couple for a meal into your home. Just a few hours watching how you treat your spouse and raise your children can be life-changing to younger believers who have no Christian role models. Do you know how many people are coming up in their 10s, tweens, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s who had no Christian role model to set an example and teach them how to read the Word and study the Bible and pray and sacrifice our finances and give to God, you have an awesome opportunity, if you're a more mature believer, we'll say, to invest in people behind you. Number three, read a book together. Read a book together. Find a book that works for both of you. Some people have never been invited to read a book and discuss it with someone outside of a classroom. There's great Christian literature out there. Pick one and say, hey, would you like to go through this book together and just Meet at my house once a week. I'll, I'll serve up some lemonade and we can, we can discuss this book together. Number four, work with your youth pastor to hang out with younger believers. I'm sure Ethan would love to see that. How cool would it be if on Wednesday night we had some 60s and 70s and 90-year-olds that showed up and hung out in Bible study and talked and shared? You know, one of the things that I love on Tuesday nights, every other Tuesday night, we've got a group of ladies that meet at Martha Petit's home for Bible study. And it started out ladies in their kind of 20s and 30s and sort of creeping into the 40s. 
And then they started to reach out and invite other ladies from other age brackets in. And Carrie came home one night and I said to her, I said, who all came to the study? And she began just listing off names. There was, I don't know, 15, 18 ladies, something like that. Ladies from all different generations, from early 20s to, to, to near 70. And you know what Carrie said? She said, I, I love that. This is a millennial speaking, okay? Because millennials, I'm one of them. We get sorely maligned for a lot of things. So this is a millennial speaking. This, I love that. You know why I love that? Because I love the, 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 the different age generations and how we can learn from each other. How we can come together and learn from one another because we have different perspectives. Last night, we're getting ready to sit down for supper, and we don't have a dinner bell. So if anyone wants to like forge one of those in your blacksmith shop, and I could really use that. You know, we'd hang it on the front of our house. We're getting ready to sit down for supper, and we start our head count. I'm one, two, three. We're missing number four. We've got five, six, and seven. You know, they're not as mobile. Well, I look up, and Mr. Scott, he's in here this morning. He's nowhere to be found. I, I knew immediately where he was. So I get on my phone and I text Brenda Killo, who's our neighbor. And I said, is Scott over there with you? Yes, I'll send him right over. I walk out on my front porch and I look. And here he comes across the front yard, across the driveway. This kid's seven years old. I'm not spotlighting him because of my, he's my kid, but I'm, I'm spotlighting this story. It proves the point. He's seven years old. And wants to hang out with people that are six decades older than him. There are younger people waiting for older people to not just hang back and set sort of a general example, but step into their lives. If you're not familiar with that, let me just speak from a millennial perspective for a second. I can tell you one of the things about millennials, by and large, we are very open to listen. May not always agree. But very open to listen to different perspectives. Many people in this church, millennials and down, would love for some older people to step into their lives and say, hey, it's happy hour at Sonic. Want to go get a slush? Yeah. I just heard one of my kids say yeah before I said it. Okay? In all seriousness, there are younger Christians that need older Christians. You don't have to be a senior. You might be 30. You might be 25. You might be a 25-year-old young lady in this church And there's a 16-year-old young lady in this youth group who could use you to step into their lives. There might be a single person in this church. Maybe they're widowed, maybe they're not. And they need somebody else to come along and wrap their arms around them. Listen, getting older does not mean you lose your place in the lives of younger followers of Christ. It does not. It actually may mean just the opposite. Number five, verse 19 tells us, That our sin debt has been canceled. Listen. We ought to never get over this part. Listen verse 19. In Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself. Does it say we were reconciling ourselves to God? It does not. It does not say that we brought anything to the table. In this deal called salvation. In fact it's not a deal. It's an offer. And God extended it to us. Freely, with no strings attached, except for you believe on Jesus and then follow him. When he called the disciples at the Sea of Galilee, I've stood right there in that general place. When he called them and he said, come and follow me. Did he expect them just to show up once or twice a week at a location? No, 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 no. 
This was an everyday adventure that Jesus was stepping or inviting them to step into, following him every single day. We ought to never get over the fact that God reconciled us to himself and he did not count your trespasses against you. He took that sin debt that you owed and he paid it himself. How? With his exhaustive storehouse of riches, he just paid it off? No, 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 no. You remember Abraham? God called him, go up on the mountain. And what? Give me all your money. No. What did he say? Sacrifice your only son. And Abraham didn't understand. But he went up that mountain. And he faithfully followed God. Listen, Jesus understood. Jesus understood when, when God, when his father called him to go up that mountain, so to speak. And to lay down his life and be sacrificed as the Isaac, so to speak. When he did that, when he was the only son, he understood what he was getting into so that he could cancel your sin debt and get you out of it. He paid that price. We ought to never, ever get over the fact that God canceled our cosmic criminal record. Carrie and I one time went to the doctor's office. and We never found out how this happened. I don't think it was a... Accounting mistake, but we went to the counter one day and we went to pay a bill uh, for one of the births of our children. It was over $800 and we had a payment plan that we were going to work out and we went to the counter and I remember the lady looking at us and we said, we're here to, to pay, pay up on our bill. And the lady looks at us and says, what bill? And I looked at Carrie and I said, The $800 one we owe. Let me check. Josh Hayes? Yeah. You don't owe anything. That's weird. She said, have a good day. We never found out how that happened. But we never got over either. See, sadly, Jesus has canceled the record of sin against us. That is infinitely more damning eternally. And we just get over it and we walk right on past it. On the cross, God chose not to count your trespasses against you because He handed the bill to Jesus. Church, don't get over that. Tomorrow morning, when your schedule fills up, Don't get over that. Last one, number six. You represent the high king of heaven. Listen to verse 20. (coughs) Therefore, we are ambassadors. Because he's reconciled us to himself, because you owe nothing anymore, if Jesus has forgiven you, now he took you from the, not even from the prison, from the grave, He resurrected you and he gave you a place on his team. He calls you an ambassador. He says God is making his appeal through you. God is making his appeal to a lost world, not through the preacher. There's a word for preacher in the Greek New Testament. If he he wanted to say God is making his appeal through your preacher, he would have said that. But the Holy Spirit said God is making his appeal through you. To lost people that you know and rub shoulders with and go to happy hour with after high school 
practices. At Sonic, God's making his appeal through you. People that you work alongside. People that you go to a civic club with. People that are in your family that you meet once a year for your family reunion. God is making his appeal through you, church. Are you feeling that weight of being an ambassador for Christ? That's an enormous title. William Barclay says this, There is no more responsible position than that of an ambassador. Listen, his life is spent among people that usually speak a different language who have a different tradition, who follow a different way of life, the Christian is always like that or should be. He lives in the world. He takes part in the life and work of the world, but he is a citizen of where? Heaven. To that extent, he's a stranger. The man who is not willing to be a stranger cannot be a Christian at all. He says an ambassador speaks for his own country. When he speaks, his voice is the voice of his home country. That's convicting, isn't it? There are times when the Christian has to speak for Christ. In the decisions and counsels of the world, his voice must be the voice which brings the message of Christ to our human situation. And then finally, he says this, the honor of his country is in his hands. His country is judged by him. Wow. How many people, unchurched people, lost people, Look at us and judge our Jesus by what we say and do. That's, that's a lot to carry. His words are listened to. His deeds are watched. And people say, this is the way that such and such a country acts and speaks. This is the duty to which Christ has called us every day. To be an ambassador. It doesn't matter how old you are. Your identity is not wrapped up in your age and stage. If you're 16 and you can't imagine 60, it's coming fast, is it not? It's coming fast. Our identity is not our age and stage that changes. Our identity is in Christ Jesus. That's what I'm trying to tell you this morning. That never changes. Nothing can wash that blood off of you once it's been applied to your life. Let's close with verse 21 so we don't miss this. It functions like a bookend that circles back around to our identity in Christ. It says this, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's a lot that can be said. I could spend an entire sermon right there on that one verse, but I'm not. Your permanent identity as an accepted, favored, beloved, invited in child of God is entirely due to the fact that Jesus took your place, became the substitutionary sacrifice on the cross for you and rose from that grave. And guess what? He put a new name. He put a new label on your heart. We had a Pakistani missionary here with us. His name is Altaf. You'll probably see him around some. And he's in the States and, and uh, he's been through one of our SBC seminaries actually when he was training in the Philippines. And when he showed up, he walked in the door Wednesday night. Altaf comes in. And he says, hey, he says, how you doing, Pastor Josh? Good to see you. I said, good to meet you all, Toph. You know what the first thing he asked for? I never thought about this. Here's how, here's how inward we can become. Talk about me here, okay? He said, do you have a name badge I can put on? I never thought about that. I'm thinking everybody knows everybody here, right? Wrong. And when I put that on him, or rather when I gave it to him and he put it on, what did it tell people? It told him who he was. 
when Jesus went to the cross and traded places with you in the great exchange, he took your old badge off and he put a new badge on you. New creation, child of God, belonging to Jesus. So our identity in Christ is our new reality. Isn't that awesome? That's good news. That's really good news. That doesn't change on Monday. That doesn't just apply on Wednesday. It's not just for people that fix themselves up and put their uh, hair up and their makeup. And nah. It's every day. We belong to Christ. And so while today is a day to honor our senior members of our congregation, I want us to remember that at one time, every senior was a junior, so to speak. And there will come a day in eternity when all designations and all distinctions apart from this one child of God in Christ, everything else will fade. Nothing will matter. The only thing will be, did we trust and obey and follow Jesus? It's not enough just to check a card, get on a church roll, and say, I'm a member of the church. It's not getting anybody anywhere. It's belonging to Jesus Christ through repentance and faith. And so my question for you today that I close with is this. What is your identity wrapped up in? What is your personal identity wrapped up in? Nobody else can answer that but you. Don't answer it for your spouse. That's between them and the Lord. It's a personal relationship with a living God through his son Jesus. If you say this morning, I don't have that badge of new creation over my heart. I don't belong to God. My appeal to you would be that you would come to Christ and let him reconcile you with his father. Let that be fixed today. Don't wait and don't delay. Come to Jesus and just call out to him like Peter when he was sinking and say, Lord, save me. Save me. I'm turning away from my sin. And I'm asking you to save me and make me a new creation. And then I would say this to our seniors in the room. To seek God's help in making your golden years count. Seek his help in making your golden years count. Because no one wants to get to the end of their life and show God, look at my seashell collection, God. Look at how beautiful it is. Those things won't matter. Let's pray.